Hello and welcome to Incorruptible Mass. You are listening to the three of us uh, talking about state politics. Um, we often talk about what is so wrong about it, what's going on, um, how you can get involved, the kind of world we could live in if we could fix the state house and the rest of state politics. So today we are going to talk about unionizing, not just how great it is in general, but um, the efforts uh, to unionize the state Senate staff and efforts also to unionize the state house staff. Um, but first, I will introduce our uh, co-hosts. So today we have our regulars, Jordan Berg Powers, you want to go first? Uh, sure. My name is Jordan Berg Powers. I use he, him, and I work in progressive politics. And Jonathan Cohn. Jonathan Cohn, he, him, uh, based out of Boston, and I'm active in progressive issue advocacy and electoral politics here and looking forward to the discussion. Anna Callahan coming at you from Medford, she, her, um, and uh, loving state politics and everything about it. Actually hating a lot about it. <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. Love, love, love to hate. Love being involved, but you know, really a lot has to change. And one of those things is that um, before this year, um, the state house and state senate sa staff were not unionized. Um, and I would love to get a little update on that. So the state Senate, uh, the staffers in the state Senate have voted to unionize. Who wants to give a little bit more of a deeper update on that? Jordan, do you want to tag in? Uh, sure. So there's been an effort uh, for a while now to unionize staff. Um, and the IBEW is the I believe the IBW is the um, anchor union and they worked with staffers to get enough pledge cards, which is a way of saying a majority of the Senate staff has agreed that they want to join a union. And that's really exciting work. And the similar work has been going on in the house. And, and so kind of, yeah, following like up with that. Yes, yeah, so like it is IBEW as you noted and that it's currently in a point where they had sent a letter to Karen Spilka, noting that they have the majority of union authorization cards, and it is up to it is up to her uh, right now to actually acknowledge, uh, kind of to like voluntarily recognize the union. Right. I think it's I think it's important. There's been a lot of work, not uh, not just with this, but also Beacon Block, which was a work. Mm -hmm. um, workers of color at the state house who put together a report for the state house talking about the um, um, constant and consistent uh, <clears throat> discrimination that they faced, the inability to and, um, the inability to get regular work and how white the staff as a whole is. And part of that was the pay, right? The fact that the pay mm -hmm. is so low that it's dependent on unpaid internships to get your foot in the door um, that those are all barriers to people without wealth or without people who, without parents who can help generate wealth. And even the people who have wealth and who have generated wealth, they're often working to um, other jobs. Most mm -hmm. statehouse staff do other jobs, which I think is hard for people to understand. Um, you know, so they'll go to work nine to five doing the work, uh, you know, most of the work that legislators don't do, right? Reading all the bills, mm -hmm. helping write bills. Um, sending emails to, to response, all the things, all the workings of government. And then, um, and then, uh, and then they go off and do another job <laughs> to make ends meet. Yeah. And yeah, if people want, 
if people want more information uh, about that, there was a great report uh, that we talked about before on the podcast, mm -hmm. um, put together by um, progressive Democrats of Massachusetts, um, where they talk about this, they talk about the, the really low pay, they talk about how that affects the, the, the makeup of the staff, that it really leads to a whiter staff and makes it very difficult for uh, people of color and from marginalized communities to, to take those jobs, as Jordan was just mentioning. Um, and we gotta throw in the fact that the Speaker of the House, in the House, right, we love to talk about the House, the Speaker determines how many staff members you get. And you get more staff members if you do what the Speaker wants, if you vote the way that the Speaker wants. So this all, this whole thing about our um, state House and state Senate being understaffed, which is in this uh, report by mm. PDM, um, really is a, a mechanism by which the speaker maintains power over what bills can be passed. Because mm. when everybody is understaffed, that means that you know those those positions are become even more important, and there's more and more work being put in these shoulders. Um, of these people who are in those positions, um, and boy, do they need a union. Mm -hmm. And then you can see even the kind of some of the different ways that this perversely intersects with other problems in the building, right? So if you have staff that are underpaid and overworked, and often they end up having other jobs to make that, when the legislature operates on a condition of providing people little time in advance of bills to actually read them, and, and marathon voting sessions, uh, that that's, if you're somebody who has another job and you're working there, that suddenly it's like, oh, you're going to work tonight. You just dropped this like 200 page bill. Can you read it? Uh, and that it, and it just kind of shows one of the many kind of, all of the kind of the intersecting systemic flaws of how, of how the legislature operates with that. Um, as well as even, again, when thinking of problems that's, the fact that sexual harassment is common in the legislature has been like a, a pretty well-documented phenomenon and having better protections for staff is essential for being able to have actual, let's say like organized staff push back against that. Cause it's something that's rampant both like of staff and of legislators as well as even like I hear all the time from like from women who are lobbying some of the like worst defending male legislators about just how uncomfortable, like of the certain legislators that kind of, kind of female advocates just talk about making sure that you have somebody else with you in the room with. And like when the power balance isn't as bad there as it is between them and staff, you can only imagine. Yeah, now it's not super surprising that the Senate uh, staff happened first in part because it's just a lot smaller, right? It's a smaller mm -hmm. group of people, makes it easier to organize. Um, but we still, uh, you know, there's definitely an effort to organize the state house staff. Um, and one of the things that I think affects this is like every two years, that staff is thrown into the air. And some of those people um, may have to leave, uh, other people might leave. Um, and so it makes it, it if there's really like a, the ticking clock going on for this organizing work that has to happen. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things is most of the people who work in the state house side, they sort of have two options. One, 
get a better paying job on the state Senate side, right? Which is why they're easier to unionize the state Senate or two, find another job that can pay better, look to get out of the field. So, you know, most of the, it's really hard to find a staff member on a state house who lasts more than four to, you know, four years, honestly, four years. Like that's really, two years is a pretty common turnover. Four years is like, you've been there a long time. Um, and so it's hard to get those folks. And to make it even worse, the person who decides what that pay is, is, um, is, the, uh, is the speaker. So the speaker sets those pays. So the speaker, again, has total control of how the, of the load, right? If you have one staffer or lots of staff members and two, how much money the legislator has to give to those, to give to that staff member for pay. So you also, again, the speaker has all of that control and it creates this like revolving door where people come in and they, um, and they go out to lobby, they go to lobbying groups, they go, maybe they go to some of the organizations who do good work, but it's, it's, you know, um, it just creates this really bad problem. Not to mention you just lose expertise, right? Like you lose who knows how to do things, who knows how the state house works, who knows, um, who knows how a bill's written, all these things. And you, so you leave it to people who have vested interests that aren't necessarily the elected representatives' uh, interests. Absolutely. And, and speaking of revolving door, I want people to think about, you know, we in money and politics talks, we talk about um, members of Congress, this revolving door where they are allowed after they um, finish up their, you know, two years to 10 years, 20 years, whatever it might be as a, a member of Congress, that then they just immediately get a million dollars a year as a lobbyist. And so, you know, unfortunately, these jobs as staffers, the, the way for people to sort of make up, let's say they have student debt and they've taken on this low paying job as a staffer for a state house person, you know, it is not the uh, lefty nonprofits that have really high paying jobs for people to go to after they finish that work. The people who have the high paying jobs are the people on the other side, right? <laughs> are the big corporations, you know, it's the Ubers of the world that are, you know, putting these terrible ballot measures out there to prevent workers from, you know, being officially employees, which of course they are, you know, they, they have all the money to push forward all of their policies and they are able to offer jobs to folks who have that knowledge and that experience um, who unfortunately are not able to remain in the positions where we need them, these staff positions there at the state house and the state senate, um, because they simply, they need to get paid more in order to be able to pay their own bills. And I would jump in even like of the, the bad incentive structure from like within the building, uh, that it always reminds me of the kind of, insofar as it's like knowledge and information is power, that if you're somebody who is overworked uh, in the building and managing even let's say like a second job and managing kind of the constituent work and like in a one person office, that those who have the most resources outside who can present whatever bills are in easily, excuse me, indigestible language ends up giving you a massive advantage because it is hard to do the type of organized pushback against that of, of, of certain messaging that you might be receiving because there are, you only have only have so much staff and so many like so many hours. 
Yeah, I want to ask them, um, what do you guys think about uh, how, because right now we're just in this amazing moment where there's a lot of unionization happening mm -hmm. that Amazon, finally, there's the first Amazon warehouse that's got unionized, a ton of um, Starbucks uh, have been unionized. And there's a lot going on. It's finally getting into the news cycle. Um, and so I want to just see how much you, th you think that that sort of national movement has affected um, the ability of the Senate staffers to unionize and our hopes that the House staffers will also unionize. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think it's it's one of the things I dreamed about as, when I was younger is for people um, to no longer think of unionization as just work, work that's done by people with sort of their hands or like building trades, like the union, like, I think it's really important what's happening. Um, I think the state house is a really important um, and I hope that it goes to more nonprofits, more other, other places, because it's important that people see that their labor isn't just simply, um, you know, it's not just simply building things, although that is important that those are labor, that those are unions, but also that like increasingly as we, as we increase technology, that using your brain is still a part of labor. You are still giving over um, and we need for those spaces, um, you know, especially in private, it's easier for, it's easier for public institutions. It's easier for nonprofit institutions to, um, to unionize, but like what's really exciting about, um, <clears throat> about Starbucks is it's a, it's a, it's a it's a corporation right it's it's in the business sector which is mm -hmm. not a which is only seen um decreasing in unionization and that's mm -hmm. the place where we need it the most so um also you know it bodes well for young people wanting to unionize like that bodes well for us that they start to see themselves mm -hmm. as a part of needing that protection to be together um to advocate so i think you know the next step is to like just have more and more like when we start getting banks unionized and we start getting some of those other things, like then we've really made it as well as like, obviously Amazon, Amazon yeah. warehouses, big employers, right? Amazon's the second largest employer. So like Walmart and Amazon unionizing are huge and Starbucks or Starbucks in every corner, right? All of them should be unionized. Mm -hmm. so, it's exciting. It is exciting. It reminds me of in general, your point about how that is like across different sectors it reminds me of just like the historical way it's just ended up differently in the u.s and so in other countries i always think of like places like scandinavia i think sweden in particular where it tends to just be like different different sectors of the economy whether kind of blue collar or white collar just have like a peak organization that that kind of negotiates labor stuff like kind of labor issues whereas it's just something that's but yeah and as you know compared to in the u.s it's mainly just public sector where it's still largely a thing with a like an ever declining private sector unionization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that the whole like the drive to unionize also was really affected by the the West Virginia strikes, like the teacher strikes that just swept mm -hmm. the country. Um, and, you know, didn't make it into the mainstream media nearly as much as it should have. I think in the alternative media was big, big news. Um, you know, just happening in state after state after state. Um, that was really an incredible moment. And I think it's helping to, you know, push the Starbucks and Amazon folks um, to really see that there can be some great success. We just had such like decades of unfortunate, um, you know, real decline of union of unions ability uh, to create new unions and also to win big, um, you know, big 
strikes and, and big concessions. Um, so mm. finally, I think we're having a moment where we're coming out of that lull and we're really um, starting to see big national sweeps of different kinds of campaigns in different, uh, different sectors. And I think it is an interesting thing dynamic, especially with like with some of the union organizing being led by especially like kind of younger workers, which you do have that kind of uh, kind of a leftward trend amongst kind of younger voters, and you have a certain like almost like virtuous cycle between that and unionization, insofar as the ways that ideas spread easily amongst younger amongst like a younger crowd than they do elsewhere. But as in people who, who's like politic like in political spaces and seeing how, seeing the issues that they experience on the job as issues that are not, let's say, things to just take for granted. And then viewing kind of, kind of applying kind of like a, 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 an increasing political sensibility to the workplace as well. So I'd love to focus back just for a minute before we um, close up on the state Senate and the state house. Um, and I, it sounds like that's going to the president of the Senate. Um, what are the different possibilities that could happen with the, um, with the Senate staff? Uh, and then what are we looking at in terms of the state house staff? I don't actually know what the Senate can do, what the, I mean, I guess she can just not recognize the union, um, which I don't know what happens then. Um, if they don't recognize the union, I think they might go to the NLRB, but I don't know. Yes. Um, that's my guess. Um, I know that there'd be some issues with, because who's your employer, but because of the top-down nature, the sort of state house is in its own trouble, right? Like you're not employed by your elected official, you're employed by the set, by the, by the state, by the state uh, Senate president and, House, I think the other piece, um, you know, for those listening, like, make sure to ask your elected representative as we go into mm -hmm. election season, are they supporting their staff unionizing? Would they stand in their way? Because a lot of people who say that they support unions and take union money have been pushed, have been a part of trying to break up attempts to unionize in the House. And I think mm -hmm. it's important that we say that publicly. And so you need to make your elected representative go on the record publicly and say whether or not they support their state house staff unionizing end of story will they say it publicly will they support them publicly mm -hmm. are they proud of the work that their staff member does and believe that they deserve a living wage or a you know a wage um worthy of the work that they're doing for them like almost just tagging off on that kind of what general point just reminded me of how the state house should be a model employer kind of ultimately, right? It's like the state house shouldn't just be like a decent employer. It is often now a bad one, but it should be a model employer of like, what are the kind of, what are the different, right? Of like wages and salaries, benefits that people should be getting. And our legislature, especially in an overwhelmingly Democrat, especially an overwhelmingly democratic one should be able to model best practices. One thing just to throw out here that I always like, I'm always stunned when I hear again is about how, I don't know if it's both chambers, I know it's the Senate, where they don't even get health insurance for the first few months on the job. And that that I, I just don't fundamentally don't understand why that is that is like still a thing there and how right. that is, is not fixed when there's no excuse for not fixing that. And it speaks again to the need need to empower staff there because their bosses, even ones who describe themselves as very supportive of labor, just won't care and won't fundamentally care enough about that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna take final comments on this or on um, anything union related before we close up for today. There's exciting stuff. Um, you know, it's not easy. Unions are made up of people. People are imperfect. And I think a lot of times we get sucked into a lot of the negatives that people say about unions and about the work to go. But like, ultimately, it's about having a say in your workplace and making sure that you get the wages that you're deserved. Um, mm -hmm. The state house isn't like a small, <laughs> like it has the money. It literally has all the money. Um, <laughs> it can, it can, it has, it could easily pay its staff better. It just doesn't because it doesn't value the work of the young people who work there. Um, and it's mostly young people because that's who can afford to work there. Um, and so like, it, um, you know, this is, this is important stuff. It, they're, you know, it's imperfect. It's sometimes, you know, it's not, it's not going to always be like this, I don't know, this model thing where people just have this vision of like things. It's going to be, it's going to take work, but it's just exciting. It's exciting ultimately that people are standing together and demanding um, rights at their workplace. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think about it as unions are essentially democratic institutions and democracy is messy. And that's the reality. Any real democracy is messy, right? You have to allow people to say what they really think. You have to, you know, you're trying mm -hmm. to get people to, there is no um, sort of, uh, there is no part of segment of society that is a monoculture that thinks the same way, like no matter how many other things you may have in common. Um, and so, you know, we need more democracy in the workplace as well as outside the workplace. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you both so much. Um, we will see everyone next week.